guys, welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we are so excited to have Rachel Johnson Greer here to chat with us. Rachel worked in the compliance department at Amazon's headquarters for over a decade. That is, until she was deposed from her position for speaking up for customer safety. A mother herself, Rachel was sickened by the reports of children that lost their lives due to faulty products. She is on a mission to arm parents with the knowledge they need in order to keep their families safe. Today, we'll be chatting with Rachel about how your Amazon cart may be putting you and your family at risk, strategies to quickly and easily identify if a household item or children's toy is dangerous, and ways for parents to find peace of mind in an often daunting marketplace. So let's welcome Rachel. Oh my gosh. Hi, Rachel. We're so happy to have you on our podcast, Chick Chat. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And Rachel, you know, we always like to really get to know our guests. Um, I, I'd love to learn more about you and your experience. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your professional background? Yeah, absolutely. I worked at Amazon for eight years. Um, after deciding that academia was not my thing, I was looking at the job market prospects and I was like, these aren't good prospects <laughs> and went from being basically in liberal arts to doing business. And it was one of those things that was funny. Everyone told me, don't get a degree in history or, or languages because you'll never get a good job. And my first job at Amazon I got because I could speak German. And I was like, ha ha, all those people who said liberal arts weren't a good choice. <laughs> Proved <laughs> so, you wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I started out working on the German site for Amazon. So worked on uh, German fraud cases, working with the police there and stuff like that. And then moved to a different department in Amazon, they have a kind of interesting policy where they don't want you in a job more than two years. Um, oh. So they basically make you move if you've been there for longer than two years. The idea is that if you're there for too long, you start getting really attached to the processes and procedures and you won't be as willing to change. And so they want people to be moving constantly so that everyone's ruthlessly focused on process. <laughs> And so after leaving that job, I loved my job, but I'd been there for, for over two years. So it's time to move. Went to compliance in the operations department. I was there for five years. And then my last job at Amazon was managing hardware for website availability. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you just kind of go all over the place. They're like, hey, you're smart. Go over here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We could use you in this position. Yeah. But you said five years on the other one. I thought you said they only allow you in two. Well, I was in three different jobs in five years. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. So you've kind of seen a little yeah, bit of yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. All over the place with, with Amazon. So that's part of, that's one of the nice things about it is that I had a very well-rounded background mm -hmm. at the company, but also I was there during the time where it was growing like crazy. And mm -hmm. so just saw a ton of stuff that if you started now, you just, you wouldn't even have a chance to do because the company's so big you know, you'd have a much more narrow job. Whereas back in the day, they were like, do all these things. <laughs> and so, you know, you yeah, have a ton yeah. that way. And then the last seven years or so, I've been consulting and supporting sellers on Amazon because uh, if you think Amazon's hard to work for, they're pretty challenging to work with as well. So <laughs> have a that lot is of what I've heard. I've heard that yeah. from retailers. So yeah. how do, And how do you help them with consulting? How does that go? 
Yeah. So basically, if they get some message from Amazon and they're like, what in the heck? They reach out to someone like me and say, hey, Amazon sent this to me. What am I actually supposed to do? (laughs) Because it's really challenging to get someone on the phone or to get someone who can actually walk you through it. They'll reject things for even something as small as a period or a comma missing. It makes it to where for those people who are submitting it, they're like, wait, what what is even happening here? (laughs) So we go in and help them make it make sense and tell them, okay, you have everything right except this one piece. You need to get this letter or you need to explain this one thing so they understand what's going on and then resubmit. And that's what we do to help them. Oh, that's awesome. Now you have to tell us, because I've learned that you left Amazon really because you were speaking up for consumer safety, which I mean, what bravery that must have taken for you to just be like, this is wrong. I need to say something and speak up for families. When did you begin seeing these like red flags and what finally pushed you to do something about it? The first time I started getting frustrated (laughs) by the way that Amazon handled safety was probably about a month into my role at compliance in 2010. Mm -hmm. And the difference there at the beginning was I was confident that my management knew that the problem was there and they were trying to fix it. And when I first started, you could buy illegal drugs on Amazon. Like you could literally just type in and buy illegal drugs. You could buy medical devices that should only be used by doctors. My favorite example is you could buy a circumcision kit on Amazon. <laughs> I was like, oh my what? gosh, it's crazy. And of course the page said only for use by a licensed rabbi or medical practitioner, but I could add it to my cart and buy it if I wanted to. Like it was really crazy. The system just had no checks or balances at all. You could buy, sell anything. And they got in trouble with the Federal Trade Commission back in 2010 because they were selling things that were labeled 100% bamboo. I know it sounds really crazy that it wasn't the circumcision kits or the illegal medical devices that got them. It was labeling things 100% bamboo. And that's actually what they got sued over first. And so like of all the things, like thank you FTC for doing something because once they did that, then we got a lot more funding because getting sued by a government agency is never very much fun for anyone. (laughs) And so then we got a lot more funding and support to try to get some of these problems solved. I never thought it was fast enough, but then I never thought any of this was fast enough. And so when probably about, gosh, uh, around late 2014, there was a situation with a a senior manager in a different country. I managed global imports and he wanted to import things that were literally illegal to sell in his country. They were not legal to sell. (laughs) And I said, no, you're not bringing those in. Those aren't legal to sell. And he told me that I wasn't supportive enough of retail's uh, revenue goals. (laughs) And I was like, well, your goals are not my goals. Your goals are revenue goals. Pick something that you can make money off of that isn't illegal next time. And he didn't like that answer. And uh, complained to my management and actually ended up blocking my promotion. And that year we had enabled more than 10x global imports. Like I had done a great job. I was put up for promotion, had an exceeds expectations. That's like one of the higher ones at Amazon. And because I didn't allow him to import illegal goods, he talked to my VP and blocked my promotion. 
And that was just like, you've got to be kidding me. What? How did your VP even just think that was a reasonable thing to block you for that promotion? Well, he didn't say it for that reason, right? What he said was that I wasn't supportive and I put too many roadblocks in his way and that I wasn't thoughtful in how I worked with them. You know, you know, the usual that things that people (sighs) complain about. And, you know, because she was new and didn't know to ask, she was like, oh, you just do not get along with people, do you? (laughs) And I was like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, how terrible. But yeah, so that was maybe one of your first red flags of seeing like, hey, these are really unsafe things that are getting added to Amazon. Right. And people didn't realize, especially consumers didn't realize at the time that the marketplace was completely buyer beware. Amazon took no responsibility for anything that was on the marketplace. It was, uh, there's actually a, a, an agreement that the seller would sign with Amazon and they would say, I'm responsible for everything and I indemnify Amazon. If there's a lawsuit, Amazon isn't responsible. And so then they would sign that paperwork with Amazon and Amazon would say, great, wash my hands of you. I'm all good, done. Now I'm going to make my money off of this and who cares if it's safe or not. And to me, I thought that was unethical. It's not illegal. None of it's illegal. I think that's the thing that's really important is calling something 100% bamboo is actually illegal. So they got sued for it. But selling something like a circumcision kit without proper licensing or registration or whatever, it actually isn't necessarily illegal. The person who's buying it who didn't register was the problem. And there are a whole bunch of things where the Amazon didn't actually break any laws by doing this, like by making unsafe products available. They weren't the ones breaking the laws. The sellers were, but Amazon wasn't following up. So the sellers felt like they could break the law with impunity because no one was checking on them, right? Right. So right. there were times where people were selling counterfeit bags, which of course are never safety tested. There are people were selling unsafe products that no one had ever checked. You could buy things off of Alibaba, like like leftover stuff, like stuff that nobody was messing with, nobody cared about on Alibaba. There they would ship it by air to Amazon and then they would sell it on Amazon. And these are things that like nobody should be selling in the United States, illegal to sell in the United States. But because Amazon was indemnified by the seller, then Amazon wasn't doing anything illegal. So even if you, as a customer, wanted to sue, like something went wrong, like your house burned down, which happened, (laughs) they couldn't actually sue. They had to sue the seller. And in a lot of cases, the seller is based in China or somewhere else overseas or is really small and doesn't have anything to back you up. So imagine your house burning down because of a defective product and having no one to sue to cover your costs or to go after if you went to the hospital because something went wrong. I mean, that's how our system works, right? Our system is based on being able to sue somebody. And the yeah. way that Amazon set up the marketplace, there's nobody. It, it, you can you can sue them, but they're like in Hong Kong or something. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Right. Oh my gosh. How scary <sighs> for anyone, but I'm thinking families in general with kids and oh my gosh. So as a mother, you, this is what probably really started making you realize I have to speak up. <laughs> That's exactly what it did. So the first kind of major failure that I saw that made me really upset. And I I talk about this in the book was about the cribs requirement in 2011. There was a law that was passed back in in 2007, a bipartisan law to improve consumer safety in the US. And one of the, it it ran in, I think like five year implementation, something like that. And so one of the regulations that, that came in into effect in 2011 
was uh, a new crib standard. Mm -hmm. And so the slats could only be a certain width. The corners had to be done a certain way. You had to have certain weights that it could hold. Like there's a whole bunch of like standards to where people can't just make crappy cribs because that kills babies, right? So this was the standard that was supposed to be met. And our job was to make sure that only safe stuff could be sold on Amazon. And the process that we followed at that time was anything that had been shipped in before would get shipped back to the manufacturer. They would sort through it and then confirm that they were sending us only good new stuff. Um, The manufacturers thought that they were good to go because they thought that Amazon worked on a first in first out system. So like if they shipped it in January and they shipped another 3000 in March and they'd sold 3000 before, they thought that all the stuff from January was gone. But that's not how Amazon works. Amazon's system is based on how convenient the location is. So if the stuff from March is closer to the person in California who bought it, then the stuff from March goes out, not the stuff from January. And so it can be April and you can have a mix of stuff from January and March, not all the January stuff is out. So all these manufacturers were thinking, oh, they put the stuff I just sent on the shelf first. It's already sold through. Now I'm sending new good stuff not realizing that Amazon is automated and whoever's closest is is where it goes. <laughs> and so what we ended up with was literally thousands of cribs where there was mixed inventory from the old version and the new version. And I was like, sorry guys, we need to remove all of this and have them start over because they didn't realize and now it's all mixed in. We can't have this happen. And they said, well, we can't have a loss in sales that would result from removing everything and starting from scratch that would kill our PL for the month. So what we need to do instead is have our FC workers go check the boxes. And my response was FC workers are not qualified to do so. Every brand has their own label on there. They all have a different set of packaging. You would have to have them send you videos on everything. The logistical impacts would be enormous, you wouldn't be able to manage something like that and ensure that there were no individual cribs that went to a customer that were legal because it's not legal to sell these after June 11th or so. And they said, well, this is what we're going to do because it's the most financially prudent approach. And I, at the time, was five months pregnant (laughs) and I was staring at them because I'd just been shopping for cribs. And I was just looking at them and in my head, all I could think is, you're trying to kill my baby. (laughs) I know it was like completely irrational, but I don't know any pregnant women who are entirely rational when it comes to thinking about their baby. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I just had a, just an absolutely ridiculously hard time with the idea that somehow they thought that Amazon customers like me, pregnant moms or fathers buying for their pregnant partner would value having it be live on Amazon more than making sure it was safe. I just, it was mind blowing to me. And that was the point at which I was just like, okay, you people do not care about safety. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because I will say hearing that your team celebrated no dead babies, that was like somewhat (laughs) shocking to me as a mother and a consumer. I was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, like elaborate on this, like how it felt to be in that type of situation on a daily basis. Cause you're right. You're feeling, oh my gosh, these people only value the bottom dollar and not the safety of my child and other children. And like, hello, do you not shop at Amazon? You work here. Like don't you want time? (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't you want the safest, best products for your family? How are you only thinking about this? Like just so narrowly. 
Right. And that was something where, you know, at the time I had a, my older child was almost five. And so I was always thinking about toy safety and <laughs> like, how can, how can they be safe and not do crazy things? And, you know, cause kids are often not the smartest and do things where you're like, why, why did you do that? <laughs> and so then I'm thinking about my baby who's coming and my child just kind of being like, when I was trying to explain to them, like no parent wants selection that harms their child. I don't care who you are. There's no one who's going to be like, oh, it's super cute, but a little bit unsafe. I think I'll deal with the unsafe because it's so super cute. Like no one's going to do that. Not if they know, you know what I mean? And so it's just because they don't know and they're just like, oh, it's super cute. And they just assume it's safe. It doesn't right. mean like that they are okay with taking this risk that you just made for them. Yeah. <laughs> like they just don't know that the risk is happening. And so that was the thing that I thought was so unfair is Amazon's first and most important principle, leadership principle is customer obsession. And so I would always be in the room like, you really think this is what customers would want? I'm a customer. I don't want this. What are you guys thinking? <laughs> and just try to like really bring it back to the customer because as a for-profit corporation, the goal of a for-profit corporation in my MBA, we are the very first day of our finance class, the first paragraph of the first part of the book says the purpose of a corporation is to maximize shareholder value. So of course, if by skirting safety rules and getting away with it, you maximize shareholder value, then the corporation is doing what it's supposed to. And that is something that I think that consumers should know. If you're a customer of a publicly traded company, you are not their priority. You are their inputs so that they can maximize shareholder value. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that sobering and, and sad? <laughs> yes, very much so. And the only reason why Amazon did anything differently is getting sued by the federal government. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, government bad. I'm like, no, 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 corporation bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this like, sense, absolutely. <laughs> right? Oh you have like, everything. You can always find something bad about anything. It's funny because coming from a corporate background, I'm always like, you guys just have no idea. That's why you think this is worse than this other thing. It's because government you know about. There's like Freedom of Information Act and reporters telling stories and stuff. Corporations don't have to tell you anything. So you just don't know how bad it is. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's not just as bad. <laughs> That makes sense. Oh my gosh. Now I'm curious, Rachel, like, can you share some commonly safety issues you saw during your time at Amazon? Like how, how were they handled? Yeah. So I think one of my favorite stories was actually these, um, Christmas lights. I think it was late 2014. Yeah, it would have been late 2014. And the situation with the Christmas lights actually resulted in the Consumer Product Safety Commission, which is one of the half a dozen or so government agencies that manage consumer products in the US. There's the FDA, the CPSC, the FTC, the USDA, the NHTSA, the Coast Guard manages some. Like everyone's got their like little turf that they manage, which makes the whole process of, of safety with consumer products so challenging because they all kind of own different things. For this particular product, it was owned by the Consumer Product Safety Commission in terms of safety. And this is something a lot of people didn't realize up until that point that most string lights made in China are made in 
uh, forced labor locations, for one thing, which is really terrible. But also, there was no actual legal requirement for consumer goods in the United States to be certified. So OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, I think it is, I didn't work very much with OSHA, so I'm, <laughs> I apologize if I got the acronym wrong. They regulate any goods that are used in workplaces. So if you have like a product that's meant for business use or commercial use, it has to be certified. It has to meet certain safety standards. If it breaks, it has to break safely. It can't blow up. <laughs> that's helpful. Right? <laughs> Generally speaking, we don't want our business places burning down. But there's nothing that actually regulates consumer goods. So you don't actually have to be certified to sell your product in the United States. Obviously, if it's not certified and it burns somebody's house down, then they can sue you. So that's how consumer goods are taken care of in the United States is they assume that if you bring it into the U.S. and you're sued, then you're going to be afraid of being sued and then therefore make sure to bring in something safe. Well, what Amazon did around 2014, starting in 2013 or so, is they started really going after manufacturers in China directly. So their whole goal was to go straight to the factory, get the lowest possible prices, because their idea was consumers want low prices, right? Everybody mm -hmm. wants low prices, right? Don't you want low prices? Cheap, of cheap, course. Cheap. That's their idea, right? So you just go straight to the factory. And it's really easy to create a fake company in the US, especially back then. Some of it's been, some of the loopholes have been closed in the last couple of years, but especially back then, you just pop up a new business, set up your customs bond, and you could be in business with about $500 and be importing stuff in. And so if you imported something that was unsafe and the CPSC and customs caught you and shut down your business, 500 bucks, you're in business with this other company over here. And now you're importing the same unsafe stuff again. They just keep creating these fake companies and, and bringing in crap and then selling it on Amazon. So this particular string light item was just one of many fires that year. It just happened to be like the one that killed a kid. The string lights overheated. The tree was too dry, of course, uh, lit on fire and burned down the house. And my colleagues bought the string lights from Amazon to test it and plugged it in on carpet. And I was like, are you guys crazy? At least go plug it in in the hallway where there's concrete. <laughs> it's like, you guys, come on, this just burned down a house. <laughs> so sometimes even people who do safety for a living aren't paying attention to the details, right? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. How mortifying and how sad that, you know, it was the result of a, a child being lost. Like, oh my, yeah, that's such a heavy job. That's the reason why when we were saying like no dead babies, that's why we were so excited about it is because there were plenty of days where recalls would come in. Like it wasn't always our fault. Like it wasn't always like a miss on our end or some crappy Chinese product. Sometimes it was just somebody had a defect and they only found out about it when somebody died. You know, there were some days where uh, there was one morning where there, I think there were eight dropside curbs recalled. And all of them had been associated with some sort of infant injury or death. And it's just, <laughs> especially because it was all happening while I was pregnant. After I had my son and I was probably about two or three weeks away from coming back from maternity, I was realizing that I was massively anxious. And I was like, why am I so anxious? I'm going back to work. I like work. What's what's wrong with me? And I started like trying to suss out like, what is it in my head? What are, what are you thinking, Rachel? And realized I couldn't go back to that job anymore, not with an infant at home. Like I literally couldn't face that every day, knowing that at some point I would be opening my email and finding out about another way that some baby died and have to message the customers and tell them that they bought something that could kill their kid. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and so my manager, thankfully, was able to move me to a different part of operations where I was doing compliance for Amazon's private brands. 
And so we were actually making sure it was compliant before it launched. And that was actually one of the things I was like, wait a second. So I can be completely preventative and make sure that nothing that Amazon Basics launches is any problem at all. It is perfectly safe. It meets the quality bar. This product is great. Why are we letting all these junk products be sold? Yeah. (laughs) And so for me, that was like, we could prevent this if we wanted to. And we're choosing not to, because before that I hadn't ever worked in actual product development. Like, unless you have, why would you know? Like, it's such a specialized area, you know, like, how does a product get made? Most people are like, I don't know, you just buy it in the store. (laughs) Like, why would you know? (laughs) And so when I started working in actual development, working with factories and understanding how audits work and testing and inspections and realizing all of this is preventable. Mm -hmm. If you know what to test for, if you know what to inspect for, you can make sure that the product is safe. You can make sure that the customer is safe. I mean, there's always going to be things that happen like freak accidents or things that you couldn't plan for, but you can eliminate most of the preventable injuries just by, by following a process that already exists. And it was, that was kind of like, wow. Okay. So the profit is more important. That's what's happening here. Nah. How how frustrating, but also exciting that you're like, okay, there I can help in a different area and improve safety. So and I agree. I, I you know, I feel like we live in an add to cart kind of world where we don't always have time to think about the items that we fill those carts with. And we blindly trust the manufacturers and believe that if it's for sale, it must be safe because they've tested it and all of this stuff. But how might this mentally be putting our family at risk and what can we do about it? So I think that what can we do about it is the most important thing here because you actually can do something about it. There's a lot of scariness and kind of fear that's all around this. But you know, especially once I started doing this job, I was like, wait a second, that's what all those labels mean. Right? Because <laughs> a lot of times you don't think about the fact that there's labels on literally everything and you're not thinking about what do these labels mean? It just looks like a bunch of gibberish on the back of your box or whatever. And all of those labels are pretty much associated with something in particular. So for example, on electronics, there's usually a label that shows if it's certified or not. So one of my favorite stories was my mother-in-law bought a Hello Kitty lava lamp for my older child. And I was looking at it in suspicion because Hello Kitty is one of the most counterfeited licenses in the world. And so I'm like, I doubt this is legit. Um, (laughs) Like turned it over and there's literally nothing on the bottom except a CE mark. And the thing is, CE is only relevant in Europe. And so what a lot of Chinese manufacturers do is they'll put CE on something that's coming into the US to make it look better, even though there was no actual testing that happened. So it's basically a fake mark. So if it's actually a European company and it says CE, then you can trust that. If it only says CE and that's it, then it's probably some direct from the manufacturer knockoff where they're just making it up. So I was looking at this and I'm like, there's no code. It's not certified. It's a lava lamp and it's metal. This thing is going to either burn down my house or burn my kids. This is staying here. And I was like, oh, isn't that sweet? I think this is going to stay at Grammy's house. <laughs> and, and she plugged it in and they were they were all just doing stuff and it had been on for like an hour. And it was pretty cute. You know, it was like all different colors of pink. You know, it's a lava lamp, right? Yeah. My mother-in-law went over to go pick it up to move it and grabbed it and actually got burns on her hands, uh, blisters, because it wasn't safe. <laughs> So, oh you know, gosh. like just 
something like that. I didn't want that around my kids. Like, what if they grab it and then it falls over and burns them? You know, like stuff like that. I just wasn't willing to see. But I worked in that all the time. I recognized Mm -hmm. what was missing Mm -hmm. and was like, keep that thing away from me. Whereas she was like, oh, it's super cute. And my grandchild loves Hello Kitty. This is perfect, right? That's how most consumers are thinking. So the thing that I tell people to look for is the five items that should be on the packaging. And if they're not there, then either don't buy it or return it or don't use it depending on who it's for, right? If it's an adult and I buy the paint by numbers on Amazon all the time, and I'm quite certain that some of those are full of lead and I don't care because I'm not putting it in my mouth. I'm not putting it on my hands. I'm not a kid, right? So I'm never actually going to touch it. So it's okay. So what you have to think about are the country of origin, where it's from, the importer manufacturer information, which is on the side or the back. And then on the front, it should have brand name, full product name, and net weight or quantity. And then for a children's product, there is an additional sixth thing that you should look for, which is called a tracking label. And this is something that a lot of people do not look for. And it's the first thing I look for, for anything 13 or under, you're required to have some sort of tracking label. And it'll say something like CPSA tracking ID, if someone is labeling it like that. Sometimes they don't label it, sometimes they just have a little code. So like one of the stuffed animals that my son got a few years ago, the tag that has like 100% polyester, 100% polyester fiberfill, right? Then right below that, there's something that says RN number. And then next to it was like this kind of gibberish code. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a tracking label. So when you're looking at the labels, you need to have something where there's like, look and see, is there a gibberish code on here somewhere? Or does it say manufactured date in place? That code is supposed to go back to where it was manufactured and when it was manufactured so that the manufacturer, if something goes wrong, if you call them and say, hey, this just choked my kid, then they can go and take a look at that manufacturing run, validate if it's legit or not, and then tell everyone who bought, hey, look for this code on your label. And that means that it's the unsafe one. And so that's like what you should be looking for. Kind of like formula recalls. Exactly. So then they know what the lock codes are, right? Mm -hmm, So they didn't ever used to have things like lock codes for consumer goods. So this tracking label is basically the idea of a lock code, but for kids stuff. And so there's code somewhere on it. (laughs) So if your toy or kids product or children's clothing item or children's shoes, if they do not have a code somewhere, that's a Mm -hmm. problem. So it's actually legal to sell in the US without that code. If they haven't got that code, it means they missed something. And probably something important. So just don't use it. (laughs) And then the second thing you can do if you're not Mm -hmm. sure and you're like, hmm, well, it was a gift and I like it. Let me see if it's a faction thing I can use. Then reach out to the manufacturer either on their website or you can find it on Amazon. And on the right hand side in tiny little text, it'll say ships from and sold by on the right hand side. Mm -hmm. And you can click on the seller's name and you can email them. It's tiny little text on the right-hand side. It's right next to the orange add to cart button. And it's way smaller than the add to cart button, of course. It's really hard to find. But you can click on that and send them an email. So you either go to their website or you can go to Amazon and send them an email. And what you do to do that, you say, hi, I'd like a certificate of conformity. You can even just ask for a certificate. And if they can provide it, they are legally obligated to provide it within 24 hours. If they can provide it, then you should be good to go. And if they can't provide it, then move on with your life. (laughs) find something else. (laughs) 
Yeah, because I was going to say what you originally said, that just really helps parents identify like what might be a dangerous product, looking for those five things. But then I was saying like, well, wait, and when you're ordering on Amazon, you can't look at a box. You can't find those five or six things. So like, how can we protect ourselves and our children? So that is like the, the big thing that you can do is email, look for that really tiny script to message the, the manufacturer directly. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So if you're, if you're okay. seeing like FBA, it'll say ships from Amazon and sold by some company name that you've probably never heard of. And if you, if you click on that, it'll go to a page that says this seller is blah, blah, blah. And it's got some sort of profile on the seller. It has their address. And then in the top corner, it'll say, have a question, email the seller. <laughs> and then you can email them and ask about the particular product. You can do that at any point. Even if you didn't buy the product from them, you can send them a question. I'm like, it doesn't have to be an order-related question. You can say that it's not order-related and ask them whatever you want. We actually had a interview done with a, a reporter a couple of years ago where she actually did this because she her son's birthday party was like the next week and she'd been trying to debate between two or three different trucks that she wanted to buy him. And she was like, oh, well, I shouldn't buy it based on how cute it is. I should buy it based on who can give me a certificate. So she went and wrote to each of the three companies on Amazon. She used the, the email button on Amazon and said, hi, can you please provide me your certificate? And one of them provided it in about six hours and the other two never wrote back. And so she was like, ding, 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 we have a winner. And that's the one that she bought for her son. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Oh my gosh, that's making it real. You realize that it's probably a lot of companies that you see on there that really actually cannot provide that certificate. Yeah. And the same thing with anything, Facebook, Instagram, Walmart Marketplace, any of these Walmart, not Walmart, any like Walmart Marketplace versus Walmart store is what I mean there. Right. Any right. of these marketplaces online, they all have the same legal requirements, which they're just pushing off onto the people who are selling them. So just because it's on Facebook doesn't mean Facebook has checked anything. Just because it's on Amazon doesn't mean Amazon has checked anything. Just because it's on Walmart doesn't mean Walmart has checked anything. Shopify, same thing. So you have to actually ask. They're not checking any of this. It's just Amazon's the biggest and it's the one I know the most about. So like I know yeah. for sure Amazon's not looking, but the other ones, they really aren't either, right? Nobody's looking except for you and you have to watch out for your family. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh, these are so helpful. And now I just, you've already shared some great tips, but are there any other tips for parents that we need to know to become just super savvy consumers and shop for our families, like just with peace of mind? Is there anything else that we need to know? I think the other thing that I would say is if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. If something is super cheap, I don't even buy children's shoes that are less than $30 now because the cost to test all of the components and to actually maintain all the paperwork and do that properly for children's clothing is so expensive. You actually can't produce, unless you're doing like slave labor or Bangladesh or something like that, you actually can't produce children's shoes for less than $30 a pair. Wow. So if you happen to see that, unless it's like on clearance because they're orange or something, in which right, case right. people are just probably trying to get rid of it below cost, but like full price, brand new pair of shoes for less than $30, something's wrong with it. So that's the other thing that I would say is like, a lot of people are like, oh, a t-shirt shouldn't cost more than $12. I'm like, if you actually calculate all the costs that go into it, a typical t-shirt should be costing around $20. And so when you, when you think about like how cheap things are in your mind versus how much it actually costs to produce, mm -hmm. like think about that. Maybe you can be cheap with yourself. Like there've been plenty of times I've been cheap with myself because I'm an adult, I can handle it. But when it comes to your kid, right. if it's really cheap, maybe buy less and buy the expensive one <laughs> because it's just somebody's cheating somewhere. 
if right. it's something is that cheap. That's all right. It immediately makes me think of hearing about how a little girl got like a makeup set and she used this makeup set that, you know, that was sold as like a toy slash actual makeup and she used it and got like a terrible reaction and had to go to the hospital and was hospitalized for a really long time. I don't even know what, I can't remember what exactly happened, but you're so right. Like these things aren't being tested and if they're super cheap and uh, aren't safe and uh, it's, it's so sad. The amount of fun that they have is nothing compared to introducing bacteria into your kid's eye or, you know, giving them a chemical burn because somebody wasn't paying attention to the chemicals that were used in the pigments, right? It's just not worth it. So, yeah. you know, something like an art supply like, like that, I would expect it to be around $25, $30. And yeah. what you'll find on Amazon is you'll find a lot of stuff direct from the, the factory that's like $12, $13, which means they are using all kinds of substandard materials. Oh, devastating. Oh, my gosh. And, and you brought up actually a really interesting point on Grammy getting this lava lamp for, for your daughter. Now, our children receive gifts from friends and families for birthdays and holidays. You know, we... We often don't have control over these items unless you say, please stick to our wish list or something. Or like try to do and fail. (laughs) Exactly. How can we make sure we keep our children safe without hurting the feelings of the gift giver? I think like you said, oh, this is gonna stay at Grammy's, but like how how can we handle that in a like kind and graceful way? What I would always do is in front of the person who gave it, be like, thank you so much. That was so great. Really appreciate it. And then after everyone was gone, I'd have the conversation with my kids. Hey, guys, this is not safe. We're not going to have it. What we're going to do is we're going to go on Amazon right now, and you're going to pick from this brand, and you tell Mm -hmm. me which one you want, and then I would buy a replacement. And I know not everyone has the funds to buy a replacement, but you you can do other things. Like we would take things when my old child was little, we would take toys that we didn't want around anymore. And that would be like the trade-in value at Toys R Us to get a new toy. And so you can do stuff like that, but it's absolutely not worth keeping it in your house or keeping it anywhere near your kids if it's not safe. Same Grammy (laughs) bought a birthday gift, one of those ones where you can record a recording and then it's like, happy birthday, blah, blah, blah. It's so cute, right? Yeah. But they're not safe. They're lithium-ion batteries, these little button batteries that are in there. And they even are labeled on the back of the card, not for children three and under. Well, they got this for my older child who was not under three, but in a household with a baby. I let her listen to the, the, the card like, oh, isn't that sweet? And then that night the card disappeared, never to be seen again. It was not going to be in my house. Like it was going right in the garbage because there's just too many times we had pets, like too easy to rip the paper. And now there's a loose button battery around the number one easiest way to hurt your child's insides, your baby's insides is to leave a button battery around. The cheap ones actually get activated by mucous membranes and they'll literally burn holes through your baby's esophagus and stomach. And so I don't care how cute your card is, it's going in the trash. That's the other thing is like, sometimes you just have to maybe be okay with hurting people's feelings a little bit because Mm -hmm. they don't know. They're not thinking about the fact that they got this super cute thing for the kid who knows not to rip open the card Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a household with a baby. You know, he was like a year and a half at the time. He was going to tear it apart for sure and stick everything in his mouth. That's what he was going to (laughs) do. So I just didn't even want it there. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, as a parent, it's hard when you've got kids multiple ages and certain things you just can't have the older kid have, not in the house, you know, and that's really lame for the older kids. So I always tried to have like, all right, we're going to do this together. We're going to go somewhere else together, you know, like try to balance it out. But it certainly was not going to be in the house with the baby. 
Yeah, yeah. And what would you say to people who are just like, oh, Rachel, that's just too extreme. Like, you can't have, you know, be the police on everything safety. Like, you know, this is cute and whatever. Like, what would you say to those people who are just like, okay, I appreciate what she's doing, but this sounds too extreme? Because I could set, I could probably. I'm sure there's some people out there who are just like, eh, yes, on no. Like, is there like a marker where you're like, no, on these things, you absolutely need to really be on top of it? Or I don't know, like, what would you say to those people? I think that the age side of things is really important. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about a baby, like they literally are like helpless little crabs. Like they, they're they on their back and they're just like kicking, right? They can't do anything. They can't lift their heads. Like they're completely helpless without you. And so anything for a baby, I have zero patience with anyone who's like, it's cute. You can do it anyway. It's like, it's a baby. Like you are solely responsible for the health and well-being of this little creature. Like take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas an older kid or a teenager or an adult, like that's buyer beware, right? You choose what you're going to do. Like I said, I buy the Chinese paint by number things all the time, but I also don't stick it in my mouth. <laughs> so there's that. So I think that the level of caution that you have, there's some people who are willing to let their kids go walking in their neighborhood by themselves by the time they're six or seven years old and others who won't until they're 10. Like you have to know what your level of comfort is, but I absolutely can guarantee you, I don't know anyone who lets their toddler walk around the neighborhood alone. Right. So thinking about, all right, I feel comfortable with now my kids this age. I don't have to be quite as careful. Great. That makes sense for you. Or other people are like, nope, I'm not even going to be in my house. Okay, cool. That's great for you. But when it comes to babies, I'm like, I don't care who you are. That baby doesn't have a choice. That baby has to do everything you're having it do, you know? So like take care of the baby. (laughs) Absolutely. And that that was part of the reason I was so like emotionally impacted by everything that happened at Amazon because like these parents are already sleep deprived and don't know what they don't know. And there's this poor little baby who's like at the mercy of everyone around them trying to make a buck. And that was, that was the part where I just like, I can't handle that. (laughs) I don't blame you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you've done for all of us and our families. Yeah. And I want to know, like, what is the number one thing you want parents to know when it comes to product safety? I think the number one thing that I'd want people to know is that you need to know who made it and do they have something to lose? If it's a bigger company that could be sued or would have to recall something, there's reasons why they might do it. Like Graco, for example, is a fantastic company. They have recalls all the time, but that's because as soon as some parent says to them, hey, I had this issue. They immediately put together a notification plan. They send out cards. They send out emails. They tell everyone who ever bought that product, hey, this other parent had this problem. And they really care about the experience of their customer. They only make baby products. <laughs> so um, they're, they're very focused on that. Whereas you might work with some other, you might look on Amazon and find some other no-name brand and they don't care about their customer. They don't care about you. They are trying to make a buck. A lot of times we look at things like, oh, it's just the it's just the knockoff brand. It's the same. That's not the case. They're made in different factories. There are different people who are overseeing things. Like there's people involved in all this. It's not just like nameless, faceless, whatever. The people at Graco really care about their customers and everybody is thinking about their babies, right? Whereas some random made in China factory, like they may have had a production run that was rejected by Graco. So they put a new label on it and now they're selling it to consumers in the U.S., So you really have to think about who you're buying from and be really thoughtful about who you're buying from. 
Um, when my son was little, I would only buy from certain brands. Uh, and now that he's older, I, I'm more relaxed, but not that much more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> you know just, too much. That's why, Rachel. Yeah, it's, it, well, you know, my I had a family friend who was a nurse, uh, who was an epidemiologist, and he would he would freak out about all kinds of things. Now I, I always thought, oh man, you're just like way overproductive. And now I'm like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> Oh man, that is such a helpful tip though. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious, do you have any resources for us, Rachel, that you recommend that our listeners look into more about consumer safety? I actually really like the CPSC's website, the Consumer Product Safety Commission. You can go to cpsc.gov and saferproducts.gov is great. That was built as part of the legislation that was passed 15 years ago as well. You can go there and look up products. You can complain about products. You can see if a doctor complained about it or a daycare professional reported something as being unsafe. There's all kinds of cool stuff that you can see there and look up a product before you buy it, see if there's any complaints on there. So saferproducts.gov is great. And then um, obviously my own website, racheljohnsongreer.com. There's another one, Kids in Danger. Kids in Danger does a lot of really great email lists, updates on their blog, all kinds of really helpful stuff. Um, One of the founders, actually, her child passed away when he was a very small child. And so, like, made it her life's mission to educate other parents, you know, because it's bad enough when, when life happens and there's always things that you can't control. But when it's something that's preventable, like you bought it for your kid, I mean, that's just heartbreaking. So we always want to make sure that that doesn't happen <laughs> to anybody. Oh, oh my gosh, absolutely. Oh man, and thank you for those resources. That's so helpful. And do you have any just final thoughts or advice for our listeners today? Once you have done all the checks that you've done, check the package, ask for the certificate, you've done everything you can do, then let it go. (laughs) There's nothing else you can do at that point. You've done everything you can. Do the due diligence. But once you've done that, release the anxiety. I mean, as a parent, I know I'm constantly anxious and always like, how are my kids doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But at some point, you know, you can't carry everything. So, you know, do what you can and then let it go. Amen to that. Yes. And Rachel, do you have anything new and exciting going on that we need to know about? Well, so my book is out as of uh, about three weeks ago, which is super exciting. So if you want to learn more about Amazon and how we did it, that's part of it at the beginning. So that's how I introduce it, like, you know, what I did and how we did it. And then most of the book is actually just a how-to. Like when you're thinking about how you store your household chemicals. There's some things that people do in workplaces for safety that consumers probably have never thought of. And it's actually much more likely that you will call the poison control center for your child being poisoned by household chemicals than your child being shot by an uncontrolled gun in your home. But most parents will always be thinking, oh yes, we need a gun safe, but they're not thinking about a chemical safe. (laughs) And so they're just things like that. You're just much more likely to get injured by certain things, but we know about certain risks. And so we think they're more important than they actually are, Mm -hmm. but it's much Mm -hmm. more likely for your child to be injured by loose chemicals. So things like that, just information on how you can prevent the most common kinds of dangers that might happen in your household that you may have never thought of. And once you read it, implement those, then again, let it go, relax. (laughs) But most of the book is trying to help people think about their homes and product safety in a different way and feel confident that their home is safe. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, congratulations on your book. That's so wonderful. We'll have that in the show notes for all of our listeners. And now we need to know where can our listeners find you, Rachel? 
So you can find me on Facebook under Rachel Johnson Greer or at my website on racheljohnsongreer.com. Perfect. Oh my goodness. This was so helpful and informative. I mean, thank you again for sharing your extensive knowledge with us. I know this information will help so many parents navigate online shopping and in-store shopping and product safety. So thank you again, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, yes. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Rachel, as she said, you can visit her on her website at racheljohnsongreer.com. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to keeping our families safe.